0: ...deep subject tonight on the origins and history of how there has been a systematic effort to corrupt the Christian church and Christian teachings through Gnosticism and perennial teachings, etc., uh, through uh, many works uh, that stem from past guests I've had on the show, past co-hosts I've had here, you know, Acharya S. comes to mind, uh, Joe Atwill... All of these people are working from a central theme and agenda that uh, Mr. Jones here has uncovered. And I think it's a fascinating uh, bit of research and information that Steve has uncovered. And I'm glad to have you on tonight, Steve. How do you do? Good to have you. So uh, you know, and I'm I'm just checking the feeds here. I just started a new system, so sometimes it's hard to tell if it's actually transmitting the signal. I hope. Uh, yep, yeah, it is. I see it up on YouTube. So we are live, and uh, you know, just so people know, if you're not getting it on the the link earlier that I posted, go directly to the channel, and you'll see the live feed there. Uh, I'll just post a note of that. But uh, anyway, Steve, welcome to the show. You want to tell us the title of your your book and where people can find it?
1: Uh it's basically through it's it's any any publisher, right? Uh, Amazon. Uh, it's as an ebook through all of the book. I'll pull the book up here a bit. So you can see it. Uh, it's the death of tradition, creating the dead scroll sea scroll myth. Uh, It's basically all the intrigue, all the clandestine activity to create using archaeological research and falsify it in the creation of the state of Israel and also in the creation of a myth that was taken right up to the Vatican and the papacy, which led to Vatican II.
0: Wow, interesting, you know, and I don't know what's going on it the The show hasn't started showing up on uh, Facebook yet. It should be broadcasting up there as well. I hope it it shows up there in just a second for the rest of you folks. But uh, how did you get involved in this area of research initially?
1: Uh, working in a seminary, uh, knowing a lot of scholars and different things and working kind of behind the scenes dealing with them and realizing over time how few how few people actually of the christian faith actually believed the tenets of christianity that they were all fudging it some i wouldn't say that they were s- stupid people they weren't necessarily faithless people but they were people that were always fudging core things and i initially i started to try to figure out where where did this go wrong where did this so i started researching it the first thing i did was try to find the most controversial part i could find which i estimated was the trial of galileo uh looking all around i it was very accessible to find scientific research on what happened in science's point of view but it was very difficult finding the church's point of view the book i finally stumbled across was saint robert bellarmine's original text uh, and, and, and
0: you managed to get hold of one of only three copies in existence, didn't you? Yeah, I,
1: I actually bought the copy for $200. It came down the way to me. didn't? I, instantly, it was a 1615 edition, took it to Marquette University. They maintained that I had one of three copies in private hands, which led me to believe once I started researching the trial of Galileo, it's commonly publicized that that had to do with solar centricity but underneath it was really an argument between occult Platonism and Aristotle and the trivium. Uh, and that that side of the coin very seldom gets any attention. That led me down a path to, to, to studying the logos and what was really the understanding of Christianity underneath this all that was not being portrayed to the public.
0: And uh, let's see, I'm just posting it over to... Uh facebook for whatever reason it didn't send the feed over to facebook tonight not sure what happened there folks sorry about that but uh you're and and i've read about a third of your book so far and i plan on finishing it uh there's so much overlap between what you and i are looking at from different directions and several months ago with todd i had done a show looking at Gnosticism and how it was feeding into Islam and all of this and you're looking at it and saying it's doing the same thing in Christianity and this was uh, done through the likes of Madame Blavatsky and Annie Besant and uh, these other people that are paraded about by the the left hand path Satanist types, the Theosophists etc. as you know explaining the origins of pre-Christianity and how uh, Christianity was really this this Jewish Essene cult, and yeah. know, John John Allegro even got into promoting this idea in his works. And so, once you have the roots of this whole, let's call it a conspiracy to detract from Christianity and to uh, distort what it really is, you can really begin to see what their agenda is behind all of this.
1: Yeah. It- Going back, probably one of the first people that actually started promoting a Gnostic point of view in Christianity was a Lutheran theologian named F.C. Bauer. Uh, He promoted and did tons of research and actually founded the school of modernism that affected the church and still affects the church. Um, He was inspired by Hegel and Hegelian philosophy and if anybody's who studied Hegel, they know that the basis of Hegel is that opposites can both be true at the same time. Right. What What happened is that that inspired a whole school of occult mysticism that led through Rudolf Steiner, all these different people. But primarily, the for the, our situation today is a French philosopher named Ernest Renan. Uh, in English, would be probably more familiar as Renan. Uh, What happened is that he was actually the first person who decided that Christianity was a political religion and that Christ had actually involved and inspired a school of what became the Aryan type thing of, of Nazism. Interesting to me, though, was that he was the same inspiration behind the theories behind the Essenes that was later used in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So you got a conflict right there.
0: Well, and just to point out, you know, the the Nazi party was created by the Thule Society, who included the likes of Baron von Sabatendorf, who was a crypto-Muslim. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of this stuff manages to repeatedly get spun against the Christians just like, you know, I had mentioned to you that I was doing uh, research on Salem, the same thing happened there.
1: Right. The, the interesting thing for me was that in doing the research on the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I don't, I don't portray myself as a Dead Sea Scroll scholar, I try, I try to concentrate on the, the provenance of the text and the, the subversive activity that went on behind the creation of the legend of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, in trying to find out the source of where the Essene uh, origin that they keep attributing them to came from. It went back to this Ernest Renan and a book that I found that was published in 1903 by a guy named Guy Thorne called When It Was Dark, this the tale of a great conspiracy. And at the time, this book, in all my estimation, probably was like the War of the Worlds, where when it was released, it was basically a book that took everybody's imagination and frightened the hell out of them because they thought somebody had actually planted something in Jerusalem that would corrupt Christianity and make it obsolete. When you read the book and you look through it, it's so much like what happened literally with the Dead Sea Scrolls. You start thinking, which came first? Was one inspiration? Who, who made up this story and who made up all these events?
0: Well, uh, I, I'm not, I, was, I was just going to say, it's interesting that you bring up War of the Worlds, because that was written by H.G. Wells, who was... Uh... The tutor of uh, Aldous Huxley, who constantly comes up in all of our research. But I had also uh, gone to Princeton and to Grover's Mill in 2015 and found the original documentation at uh, Princeton in the Princeton Mud Library that showed that they were doing a psychological operation there. Okay. And, uh, you know, we were able to expose what they were actually doing there.
1: Okay. What, what happened here is when it was dark was basically about a jewish financier who hired a a english uh, archaeologist to go to jerusalem and plant evidence that would later be discovered and basically destroy christianity right Uh, what happened later on this was this was a bestseller around 1903 in the first half of the 1900s there's a story of a, a scottish jew of Russian descent named Smaria Gutman, who did go to Israel or Palestine at the time uh, with the express purpose of falsifying archaeological data. And he's been outed in a sense. he he went in the, the 1930s, early into mid 1930s. He his main the main focus of what he was trying to do is take what was Masada and create a kind of a George Washington, Crosses the Delaware Valley, Forge type legend that would inspire the Jewish people, to you know, the Holocaust had just happened. A lot of the Jews basically willingly went to the gas chamber and things like that. And he was trying to create a state where the Jews would actually be proud of their ancestry, proud of what they did, and fight for their own uh, freedom. What to, to create the state of Palestine? What in fact happened though is he took a legend, and falsified it. And created a, a group of people that were supposedly being traditional Jews fighting for their freedom for the last thing. The Josephus text that he actually gets the story from, they aren't patriots at all. They are assassins. And he converts in this Josephus story, uh, hides the fact that there were actually assassins that were assassinating Jews at random. but also had death. Right before the, the Masada event, the... The, these uh, people actually of a seen descent, supposedly, went down to the city of Ein Gedi, drove all the men out and assassinated 700 women and boys before the Roman Empire went after them to, to annihilate them. That whole event by Shemaria Gutman was con- converted into a patriotic George Washington type thing, where the Roman Empire went to them, forced them up in the mountains, and they all basically committed suicide. Uh, rather than let the Roman Empire take them over. The interesting connection here is Shmaria Gutman's uh, right hand man was a guy by the name of Yigail Sukenik, later changed his name to Yigail Yadin, who became the principal person of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, both these people together eventually created the Israeli Mossad Intelligence Agency. <laughs>
0: And you had been researching uh, the history of the Dead Sea Scrolls before the Dead Sea Scrolls and people like Robert Graves, whom I've also researched. In fact, there's a number of Graves books on the shelf behind me, and he tied into the whole Islam thing we were exposing as well. But uh, And several other people that were basically predicting the Dead Sea Scrolls a year, two years, several years before the Dead Sea Scrolls were supposedly yeah, what, discovered.
1: What happened was the, the main principal book that was taken to Vatican II, I've got a copy, one of the last copies you're going to be able to find anywhere. Uh, it's this book, uh, Jesus at, at Israel. It's a French book. It was published in English, but the English version actually left out quite a bit of the stuff. It's, the English version has been censored. Wow. What, what happened is that Jules Isaac, the person who wrote the book, was unfortunately in the Holocaust. He lost his wife and his daughter to the Holocaust, wrote the book between 1943 and 1946. It sends it off to the publisher in 1946, where afterwards he doesn't have any changes to it or anything. It, at that point in time, it takes about a year to typeset a book. Mentions that the at the time that the the proof that Christianity is a false religion or there's something wrong with it is going to be found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, or that and on the shores of the Dead Sea to be precise. This is all known about before anybody knew about the Dead Sea Scrolls. As he goes on and gets into the argument and more, he finally goes to the Vatican prior to Vatican II. Writes another book called. Uh, i've got it here uh, it's called the teaching of contempt and that's the one that's basically presented to the vatican that story in there he attributes everything to the dead sea scrolls saying that the dead sea scrolls falsified christianity uh and of course the question is how did he know this before the dead sea scrolls are known about
0: right that's uh, that's definitely ridiculous. What do you think, of, or what can you add about Annie Besant and uh, these people spinning all of this agenda?
1: Well, I mean that goes into the Golden Dawn and you know, Madame Blavatsky and all that stuff. It's uh, I don't concentrate that much on that in this book, but it's some background detail. Is that all of these people are getting their inspiration from? One of the main books is the found was eventually found in Nag Hammadi which is the corpus hermeticum uh, and the letters of pseudo Dionysius. The corpus hermeticum was introduced to the west at prior just prior to the renaissance by a mystic called by the name of Plethon. Plethon reintroduces the west to the platonic academies or the neoplatonic academies which had been shut down for nearly a thousand years and at that time, and I think the date was about 1435, he introduces the West, or should say reintroduces them to the Corpus Hermeticum, where they're convinced this is actually a Third Testament. And that Third Testament it is regarded as authentic for nearly 100 years before it gets disproven. Uh, but by that time, it had done all its damage. The, the Medici family... Sponsored it. They basically took a young boy named Marsilio Ficino, sponsored him to become a Catholic priest and to become the the cornerstone of this new teaching before it's proved false.
0: Now, you had come across my work probably eight, nine years ago. You had seen my series with uh, David Harriman exposing quantum physics. You've come across some of my work on the Trivium and whatnot, and you've kind of Uh, understood this same thing, you had come across the Trivium on your own and realized how it tied into everything. Would you talk about that?
1: Sure. Um, There are still schools around that basically still have lectures from when they used to teach the Trivium. Uh, I took courses from Boston College and they had tape recorded them. At the time, I was still a little bit skeptical on but as, as the lecturers would bring up books, this was before people were Amazon was real big yet, but you could still buy books fairly cheaply on the internet. I basically acquired an entire library of these works that basic, you can't buy for love nor money anymore. They're just not available. But it's all these books were signed off by the Catholic church. They were signed off by bishops and cardinals and uh, well known about, but by the time you end at Vatican II, the Catholic church is basically disavowing that they ever printed these things. Uh, they're hard to come a hold of but that's i've got them all um and that that's basically one of the one of the big problems with how did these things evaporate why did they just fall out of existence uh, and it's not just the catholic church as i mentioned in my book and told you before dorothy sayers wrote uh the, a, a small work on the lost tools tool of learning. learning right yeah um uh, it's sort of the same thing. It's people are starting to become aware that the problems with the education system is that we've adopted, we've sold everybody on a false way of teaching. It just doesn't work.
0: And, uh, you know, for those who, uh, you know, it was uh, 10 years and three weeks ago, I initially put out the Trivium on this show uh, with Gino Denning. And for those of you who want more information on the Trivium Uh, You can go to triviumeducation.com. And since I put that out, I've noticed quite an effort to distort it, to spin it, to say that, you know, there's basically those who use the trivium to discover truth and to find understanding. And then there are those like uh, Kevin Cole who spin it to undermine the trivium and to say that it's a system of control rather than, you know, finding truth. And so. You know, obviously, if you are understanding that there are no contradictions in nature and you're looking for truth, it's, it's a freeing thing. You can't be enslaved by knowing the truth. You get enslaved by following a lie and getting mind-controlled. And uh, you know, so there's, there are basically, there's the cl- sort of in a sense, the classical trivium and then the trivium method, whereas in a sense the classical trivium got inverted and has been used by the Ivy League schools and the elite essentially to uh, understand how mind control and sophistry works to promote it even more. Whereas the trivium method enables someone to, you know, defend themselves sort of like a mental jujitsu. Right. And My,
1: the question I ask myself, though, is that it, I. It's fine to get all these books and read them and understand them, and I'm interested in them as you are interested in. Them. But the question I asked myself was why, why, how did the average person get convinced that this wasn't the, the chart? You know, we had grammar schools at one time. We, we had a very good education system in the United States. How did the well, how, they, they
0: brought in uh, compulsory education because back in the 1800s, when you had the single room schoolhouses, they were all using the trivium. That was right the main right. method
1: and i would say you know i'm older than you so in the 60s i still remember uh when they brought a new math a new history and new this and new that uh and it always puzzled me why why would you take so why would you take something that's not broke and break it, it it's why would you try to fix something that wasn't broke
0: right of course and there's always going to be an agenda there so
1: well that brings to the dead sea scrolls i'm convinced i'm convinced that the dead sea scrolls have been leveraged as archaeological evidence to convince people that christianity is fundamentally wrong that the philosophy that goes back to the greeks and is fundamentally flawed and not and not authentic to christianity and i'm convinced that that's why and it's not necessarily that the dead sea scrolls are fake or not archaeologically accurate or that, i mean it could well be but it's basically the interpretation that was handed down to us was all designed to basically impugn the idea that the trivium was normative to christianity and replace that with a quasi basically a quasi jewish teaching that didn't exist at the time of christ it didn't exist till at least 400 years later Um, and that and they convinced academia and everybody that that a teaching that doesn't show up till three four hundred years is actually a product of the first century and that's it's just a it's a historical impossibility
0: now, what is the story behind, in your opinion, behind the creation of the Dead Sea Scrolls?
1: Uh, what you have to do, I think you got to go back to a little Jewish history. Jewish history begins, the whole episode, and this might be an interesting topic for another show, is you, a lot of this goes back to the prophecy of Daniel and the seven weeks of, 70 weeks of years thing, where they're building the temple their first temple, and they get taken over by the Persians and moved to the Babylonian exile. What happens is at that point in time, during the Babylonian exile, some of the Jews are are protesting and want to go back and rebuild the temple. And at that point in time, that's when the Book of Esther was supposedly written and the Book of Daniel was written and these different things. What happens, eventually the Jews gain their freedom, and they return to Jerusalem to build, rebuild the temple. Not all Jews left Babylonia, though, or Persia. And so a lot of them stayed behind and considered themselves Jew, but Jews, but they never were exposed to the, any of the Old Testament isn't theirs. They, the, basically, what we know as the Old Testament was written by Ezra or Esdras in some Bibles. That became Jewish tradition. The Jews that were left behind in Persia developed their own methods and their own mystical methods based on Zoroastrianism. So by the first century, these Jews are starting to begin to return to Jerusalem, and they are the group that becomes the Pharisees. Uh, About somewhere in the first century, 700 of these are crucified by the normal Jews because they know they're trying to take over their society. The being indignant about having 700 people crucified, the Pharisees double down. They go to the Roman Empire and convince them to make Herod a kind of a fake. It, rightfully in Jewish tradition, you're supposed to have a king priest. So the idea is that they they got Herod in as an artificial king who has very little Jewish descent in himself. He hires a Persian mystic to become the head Pharisee, which is Hillel the Great. Uh, and then what happens is that becomes the whole issue between Christ being the authentic king priest and the artificial ki- priests of Hillel and King of Herod. From that point on, you get this disparity where the Pharisees really don't have that much power until after the temple is destroyed. And they really don't, this is this all is verbal legend uh, until about three, four hundred years. And then it starts becoming written down. Now, when the Dead Sea Scrolls show up, it, as I said, many of them, are, I have no doubt some are authentic, but what they're trying to do is read into themselves a Gnostic interpretation that goes against, uh, it goes against a lot of different things that, that and the original Jewish scholars objected to it. The main original Jewish scholar was a guy by the name of Solomon Zeitland who specifically said they were a hoax. And the hoax basically is that you take something that properly should be around the third or fourth century, use the scrolls to validate it as being prior to the first century, and then you call it an Essene sect. What's known, though, is that most of these Essenes, or a lot of them, were actually assassins and terrorists. Judas Iscariot, they, they were called Sicari and the, the, the Judas Iscariot, the word Iscariot is actually a, a somewhat mistranslation of the term sikari which is just another word for sword
0: so he's a, terrorist. he's a terrorist so is was he like uh Hassani sabah and these uh terrorist guys infiltrate and then
1: yeah 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 I mean, your your conjecture is good as mine at that point but that the connections are all there the and now you got to wheel back to what i originally said about basada this is the same group of people this is, these are terrorists they and they've been spun to be they've been spun to be patriots and they're using the same kind of legend to create the dead sea scrolls and once once you read once you read the original text of Jules Isaac's books he makes no he's not backing down from the claim that Christianity is is authentically a Persian mystical religion you know of the Rudolf Steiner type uh and that's where he's getting his stuff from is from Ernst Renan
0: and you know and then uh so you have Robert Graves tying into your work Robert Graves tying into my work uh, Rudolf Steiner and yours, Rudolf Steiner and a mine, we're, you know we're getting the same overlap of these these characters right. that acted in social engineering uh, to collapse society. But then you see it on the other side, they're using it to deconstruct and create a false Christianity that's uh, Today we see a lot of Christian denominations that believe that Christianity and Christ are about love rather than logos.
1: Right, 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 and the love that they're really drawing off of is the love that was created by Marsilio Ficino. It's really an occult doctrine, and it's it's they try to dress it up as if it has nothing to do with sexuality. That's just not true. It's underneath, it's a very sexual religion.
0: So, what can you say about John Allegro? Obviously, you know, for full disclosure, I am the publisher of John Allegro, and I've been having a lot of questions, as you and I discussed for the last, you know, several years, regarding his work. But Uh, and and you do you do open your
1: your, I defer to your expertise. You probably have way more expertise on that. The what I would like to lead the, the topic though over to is that Jules Isaac writes these books, and this may be answer your question, I don't know. He, he's writing this book by 1946, he's got it published, and all of a sudden there's murmurs about scrolls and different things happening. So they, they create a conference called the Seelisberg Conference. And the two people that are part of this, the, the co-chairmen of the, the conference, are one is the name of Lasky, and the other one's by the name of Goslin. I we talked yesterday, I said it was from Santa Barbara, he was actually the head of the school board of Pasadena, and there's many books about him, he was thrown out as being a Marxist and being a charter member of UNESCO. Uh, Lasky, when you look at him, and this is what really connected all the dots for me, Lasky, if you read all the original researchers, especially Solomon Zeitlin, they, they're looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls, they said these have a an uncanny likeness to, to scrolls found in Egypt called uh, the Egyptian Gniza. and The thing that's pulling them all short is they can't figure out how these researchers, how the people in the Dead Sea Scrolls are analyzing, would have ever had access to this Cairo Geniza. Well, it turns out Lasky's father-in-law is Moses Gaster, who has them hidden in a vault in London during World War II that gets bombed out and and drenched with water during one, an air raid, and so he has to hire uh, Samaritan scribes to re-authenticate them and reduplicate them, and it's it, this collection that eventually becomes the John Rylands collection. Uh, the, the, it, the interesting thing is here: you've got motive, you've got people, you've got access to all these things. These are the very people that formulated the eventual assault on the Vatican with all these texts to prove that Christianity is a falsified religion.
0: Well, on top of that, and somebody just uh, sent me this book, and by the way, thanks uh, to those of you during the week who sent uh, donations and support, but uh, Dominique sent this this weekend. It's a book that I haven't delved into yet uh, this week, but it's called Bearing False Witness, Debunking Centuries of Anti-Catholic History. Right. And I'm really uh interested in getting into this because it debunks, you know, the you know, ninety-five million witches slaughtered in the Inquisitions and all
1: this nonsense. It was more like ten people, something like that. Yeah, and that's fairly well known that the Inquisition at most uh you hear numbers up to half a million or millions of people, and usually most most of the people that suffered during the Inquisition were the, the main task of the Inquisition, we haven't gone into it, but the main task of the Inquisition is when they realized a lot of Jews had left Judaism. They weren't trying to convert them into being Christians. They actually were trying to convert them into being Jews again.
0: Now, are you familiar with my former co-host's work and his whole theory that the Romans invented Christianity and Jesus as a as a plot to mind control the Jews?
1: i'm not familiar with him but i'm familiar with those theories
0: right and what can you say about that
1: well i mean the main mainstream protestantism i would say a lot of fundamentalist Protestantism will insist that roman catholicism was an invention of constantine uh at the council of nicaea right uh i this might be a subject for another show but i'm convinced that a lot of There are records of Pilate's, some people don't think they're authentic, but I think they reflect real uh, events. That Pilate wrote a letter to the Senate of Rome at the time, you know, after Christ's crucifixion. Uh, The letter basically indicated to the Senate of Rome that the the Christians had been given a short stick. I mean, there's tons of records of, of, of real Christianity going on, so it's impossible that they made it up. The, the Roman Catholic Church was basically the Senate of Rome said, we're not going to authenticate and allow all Christianity to run whatever. We will have a Roman sanctioned version of Christianity. Uh, what happened is the Orthodox Church got founded, I believe, because Christianity had, I believe it was up to 22 authentic relics of the original Christianity that was moved to Edessa this, and were protected there until the Islam started taking the area over when they were moved into constantinople um so and and then you get you get into the shroud of turin and you get into the cathars and all the uh you know all that business but i i think there's plenty of evidence to show that 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 whole theory is bunk
0: it does you know what let's let's go there let's talk about uh badgent and lay and this whole direction that they manufactured that became that that movie
1: uh oh it became the da vinci code yeah the
0: da vinci code and then you know so what can you say about this line of thinking and how that was used to further corrupt and you know make it look like uh
1: christianity was an elite plot you're you're testing my mental recollection here, but I'll go. Oh, with okay.
0: It. <laughs> Sorry about that. But you uh,
1: know. yeah, well, Bad and Lay it, they wrote "Holy Blood, Holy Grail."
0: Right, and I've read that. I've got it on the yeah. shelf here.
1: Yeah, and that eventually becomes the Da Vinci Code. Um, but the, the the funny thing about all this stuff is that there's an air of truth to all this. It's it's the wrong truth, I would say. It's the truth from the side of the Cathars. Uh, if you want to dig for it, it's there. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the guy Henry Lincoln found Plantard. Uh, oh, I could look it up. He, but he basically found a falsified text and wove it into an entire legend about the Cathars and resold it as authentic Christianity. Interesting enough, I don't know if you're aware of the book. Uh, the Have you ever heard of Otto Ron? No. There, yeah, you're going to have to look at that one. He was a Nazi at the time who was convinced that the Catholic Church was wrong. It was the model for his book. It was the model for uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, and he was a Nazi archaeologist that was researching the Cathars, went all, their, all the way to southern France, the prov- the provinces, and Mont- Montsegur, I think it was, where the Cathars had their last stand and there's a lot of research that indicates that the Cathars had taken possession of the Shroud of turn And the, all of the escapades to try the, the uh, what do you call it, the Crusades when they, they went after Constantinople was the founding of the uh, Holy Blood and Holy Grail legends. Uh, I'm convinced pretty much that the Crusade against the Cathars called the Albigensian Crusade was really a search for the holy, the Shroud of Turin. That the Shroud of Turin is actually the, the Holy Grail. Interesting, and it that gets into Baden and Lay because Badge and Lay then take their legend and, and I don't know if most people know about it, but they, Robert Eisenman actually insists that the best synopsis of what happened to the Dead Sea Scrolls was written by Badgett and Lay.
0: Interesting. Well, you know, and I've met Robert Eisenman. I was going to have him on the show years ago, and he was doing a uh, live presentation, and I had asked him a bunch of questions. He says I'm, while he's on stage, he attacks me and says everything I said was wrong. I walk off pissed off. He jumps off the stage while somebody else is talking and pulls me aside and says, uh, everything you said is right, but I can't uh, say it live course, on on the air. You know.
1: Well, I mean that it, it does get back into Jules Isaac because Jules Isaac is the one who convinces them, and the Vatican. I think even in 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 Jerusalem, and to this day, you have the Ecole Biblique of the French Academy uh, that was basically there since the eighteen hundreds had been shut down for a time for heresy. But they sort of become de facto custodians overlooking the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. It's well known that their agenda was to, to authenticate a modernistic view of Christianity. Um, they went on to write the Jerusalem Bible, which was accepted by the Catholic Church as being the normative Bible for English-speaking Catholics. Um, The the, Probably the big player in this that everybody keeps ignoring, and sometimes they they portray him as a good guy, sometimes as a bad guy, is Malachi Martin, who uh, during Vatican II was third in line to the papacy, and and basically sold Christianity out.
0: Somebody just said in the chat, Jesus is Manny, not the Dead Sea Scrolls prophet.
1: Okay. (laughs) Yeah, from the Manichaeans. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean the the thing is that I think that's why you, the Dead Sea, not just the Dead Sea Scroll, but looking at the. Uh, have you ever done a show on the Shroud of Turin?
0: I have not. No.
1: That's interesting in itself because there's a lot of legend that was falsified. Well, there, there. There's
0: two more shows we'll have to do there, Steve.
1: Okay, <laughs> but to to make it to make it brief is that the whole radiocarbon dating of the Dead Sea Scrolls in the late. It, during the late latter 20th century was falsified it was admitted by ray rogers who is the lead scientist for los alamos cat, uh, laboratories wrote a paper before his death uh, a former nun went to him and proved to him that they they had tested the shroud of Turin wrongly she he did all redid all the tests and admitted that she was right and wrote a peer-reviewed paper saying the shroud of Turin is authentic
0: Wow. Well, and speaking of the uh radiocarbon dating of the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was none other than my former co-host Joe Atwill who was a part of the redating of the carbon of the of the Dead Sea Scrolls to give his and Robert Eisenman's uh uh theories credibility and of course uh
1: Atwill you, you know of course of the museum in Washington that has just acquired Dead Sea Scrolls and have been proved all to be frauds because right, well, you can, you can literally buy the paper on the Am- on Amazon today.
0: What, what I was going to say is Atwill had never done anything regarding radiocarbon dating before, and then you have uh, Robert Eisenman who slaps on uh, his name on this this paper to give them uh, to give Atwill and Steve Brownheim uh, credibility. And guess where? Both of them are are out of uh, Steve Brownheim and, and Joe Atwill are out of uh, Santa Barbara. But, uh, you know, this uh, Steve Brownheim is uh, president Entryplex Technologies. And then uh, Joe Atwill puts on there that he went to uh, that he was from Cal State Northridge. I don't know, uh, you know, having worked with the guy for a couple of years, I don't know of anything that he actually did at Cal State Northridge. To be able to put his name on that paper, but that's uh, you know that leaves me. I mean, it 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 begs the question if he actually even studied there or did anything there. Maybe he, you know, gave a lecture there on his Caesar's Messiah book once and thought that you know that was enough to, to put you know Cal State Northridge on there.
1: It, it to tell to make a short story out of it, and it, you could have another interview about this. Uh, if you go to Lulu Publishing. It's a self-publishing. I do have a book I wrote a while ago on it, so I'm kind of searching my memory banks to tell this story. I believe what happened is that after the crucifixion, or right before the crucifixion, King Abgar of uh, writes Christ and asks him uh, for healing. I think he was a leper or something like that. And Christ sends an emissary in St. Thomas to Edessa to heal him after the crucifixion. This letter that King Abgar wrote to Christ was actually considered authentic all the way through the Middle Ages until recently. Nobody's ever found it, but it was always part of it. It's written up in Eusebius. Um, Anyhow, what happens is Edessa, for some reason, becomes the, after the Roman church is created, Edessa becomes the repository of all the Christian relics. And I think there was about 21 or 22 authenticated relics at the time of Christianity. During the Muslim takeover of the Middle East, they get moved to Constantinople. The, as the Islam starts taking over Constantinople, they appeal to the Roman Catholic Church for protection. The king is put back in charge of Constantinople and refuses to play the Roman Empire off. So that what was going to be a crusade against the Muslims, the Roman Catholic Church actually launches against the Muslims or against the the Orthodox Christians in Constantinople. Oh no. And so to pay them off and tell them basically quiet things down, they pay them off in the relics, which the Catholic Church then goes to Paris and builds what's called Saint-Chapelle in Paris, which is supposed to be the repository of all the relics of Christianity. Most of those relics got stolen during the French Revolution. What happened is that the one relic that's listed on the inventory in Constantinople, but doesn't make it to Saint-Chapelle, is the Shroud of Turin, what I would suppose. And so the conjecture has been, and I, th- I believe I've got a paper by, written by a professor of University of Indiana, can't think of his name right now, um, makes the conjecture that the, the, the whole Albigensian crusade was really a search for the Shroud of Turin, which does show back up in about 150 years later And then you get the whole legend of uh, the Knights Templar and all this stuff, which there's several books that now the Vatican maintains that the Knights Templar did have the Shroud of Turin for a time. And that's what happened. Uh, And
0: of course, you know, and interestingly, of course, the Knights Templar were Muslims, as we've discussed before the show. And uh, they were the yeah, ones... There's an
1: argument whether they're infiltrated by Muslims or whether they are actually or basically had adopted some of their teaching. Uh, again, there's the same kind of I don't know how to take it. They're accused of molesting and, you know, similar different types of things. And, of course, Jacques de Molay is uh, executed.
0: Right. On Friday uh, the 13th, which is why it's a bad luck
1: But the, but the luck interesting day. story that I don't think most people are aware of is that All the Holy Grail stories are written after, you you have a story before the fall of Constantinople, I think it's called Geoffrey the Knight, which is kind of a a before the Cathars, that that evolves into a book, two different versions called the Holy Grail. Uh, One is a German version, one's a, a Brittany version. In my estimation, what happened is that everybody assumed that this was an English tale, that if you look at Brittany, France, you actually do have uh, a King Arthur. You, at his sons do go out; his proteges do go out and actually find the Holy Grail. Uh, and his, I think, it is his grandson. I can't Simon de Montfort. I think does actually become king of England for a short time. Um, there's plenty of evidence to show that the, the the legend of the holy grail was based on this that search for something to do with the, the montfort uh, looking for the shroud of turn. I think there's plenty of evidence to show that.
0: And so then you get all of this not all of these gnostic teachings, all of this stuff gets rolled up and twisted into a fake philosophy and then the catholic church gets convinced of it and then it gets rolled out and Vatican II.
1: Yeah. What happened, I mean, you got to really go back to 1435, I think it is, when this, when you have Marsilio Ficino and Plethon and things starting to inaugurate, re-inaugurate the Platonic Academies, you, you see the Jesuits having both the, the philosophia apprentice of really both sides. Um, the Jesuits are good guys and sometimes and sometimes they're evil. And so this, this whole battle is playing out within the Catholic Church. Uh, they, they, by the time you get to the 20th century, you see modernism, which really, in my view, is just another word for humanism, which is no, it's just another, it's not just another—it's another code word for hermeticism
0: and socialism combined, right? And socialism and yeah. and promoting the fall of humanity.
1: Yeah, and if you look, at Jules Isaac, Schmarya Gutman, all the people that were playing out in the Dead Sea—they're so they're all socialists. They're all sponsored by socialists. They're sponsored by the Russian government at the time. Israel, up until that point, was basically a protectorate of England, and they had had enough of it, so they were washing their hands of it. Uh, And in, in that vacuum scooped all these different groups and taken over basically by socialist agendas.
0: Right. Well, you know, and I've done a lot of work on exposing uh, the the humanists. And, of course, a lot of that was created by uh, the spy under Queen Elizabeth, Dr. John Dee. Yeah. And uh, he was cultist. Yeah, he was. Well, and he really created modern, uh, you know, uh, intelligence and spying. You know, we can attribute uh, British MI6 to him, et cetera. He was a heavy influence on... Aleister Crowley. A lot of his work goes on to influence the uh, the not only the creation of intelligence, but a lot of these these myths that we see. He's who largely was behind the influencing of the creation of the modern fairy tales, uh, and that goes into the overpopulation myth. Um, he influences heavily the psychedelic revolution, but uh, these humanists go on uh, Julian Huxley. The Huxleys, you know, and I was telling you earlier, the Huxleys come up anytime there's an international scandal or conspiracy or dumbing down the population. It's, you know, you're 99.9% assured that there is a Huxley involved. And with humanism, it's no different. We see Julian Huxley pop up right here. But, uh, you know, Ryan, Rhianna Eisler, who worked with Terrence McKenna and promoting all of this socialist uh, nonsense that McKenna was behind, uh, was influenced by these same Dame, people.
1: Have you heard of Dame Francis Yates? Yates. Let me
0: see if I... Uh, Francis Yates. I have him under Rosicrucianism, or her, under Rosicrucianism and uh, alchemy and tied over to uh, Giordano Bruno.
1: Yep she i mean she's done a lot the funny thing about all this it's i talking with you here it's someone just listening in i could envision thinking i'm a nutcase or thinking where (laughs) do you get this stuff from well there's been a lot of good research on this and dame francis yates was one of the very good researcher on occultism and uh, on uh the beginnings of modern science and things like that it's interesting to me that this good research doesn't doesn't get the credibility it deserves. And, and academics, for some reason, shy away from this stuff. If you look at the book I'm selling, uh, all that, that, I'm not inventing anything. And in I'm quoting bona fide authors, bonafide, uh, nothing's made up. Right. Well, hold up
0: your book again, so the audience can see that and make sure folks buy this. I'm a third through this book. And it's incredible. There's a lot of jaw-dropping information in there I, you know i really mean and, that
1: and, and you've been reading it have you experienced anything in that you wouldn't it's all backed up it's not right well what's
0: your your conclusions and what you're supporting with the actual grammar there are th- things that i've suspected for two three years as i've realized that the dead sea scrolls were likely a fraud and they you know, created this whole thing, uh, you know, with Jesus and the Essenes and whatnot to try to debunk Christianity and the whole fake, uh, you know, Jesus Rome conspiracies such as Joe Atwill promotes, etc. Uh, I began suspecting that there was a whole underlying theme there going on. You know, that Acharya S. I had her on my show, you know, ten years ago before she died. All of these people are in there selling this the same stuff she would constantly cite. Annie Besant and all these people, but you're going in and you're actually showing the origins of this. Well, let's call it what it is. It's a conspiracy, and uh,
1: yeah, that's it's a hard it's a hard one to swallow, but it can't be anything else,
0: right? Well, and when you get it, and like I said, I've you know in my mind I've been processing all of this. I you know wasn't working on the ac- actual documentation like you were, but I could see it. And uh, so then, once you realize that there is a conspiracy here to mislead people away from Christianity, and to make people think that it was a, that it's a love cult rather than you know understanding logos and that truth is God and that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that Satan is the father of all lies, and you know there are no contradictions in nature. A, a, a contradiction is always a lie or an error, and once you Begin to understand all of this, you can see the foundation of Christianity and what it is and Christ and all of that in it. It took me a long time to come to it on my own, you know. But you
1: would you would think that academics would be attracted to a reasonable Christianity. You wouldn't think that academics have spent their whole life... Well, isn't
0: that, studying- the, isn't that the point of all of this disinformation? They don't want you to know that the word logos is where we get the word logic from. And if you look up logos in the dictionary, it says reason, you know, the word, etc. You know, they want you to think that it's a guy floating on a throne in space and that's all this you know, uh, you know, ridiculous, well, they, they,
1: discredit, they discredit Christianity and make it like a straw man out of it. They make it a kind of a silly religion. Right. Exactly. And then they go, and then they go back and say, well, why do we do this? It's just a silly religion.
0: Right. And then, uh, you know, and like you argue in your book, they try to tie it to Nazism when Nazism is, you know, and I, I mentioned, uh, the Thule Society and, uh, uh Baron von Sabatendorf. I did a show with, uh, Todd on that a few months ago, showing how Nazism, and Islam are heavily tied, and we did numerous shows on it. And the more shows we did on Islam, the more evidence we accumulated just from the sheer attacks. You know, you'd have these Islamists and all of these, you know, neo-Nazi groups like the GDL and the White uh, Protection League and all of this stuff. Using the exact same laundry list of talking points over and over and over. And you saw, you know, And they we, all think they're unique. And they all think they're unique. Well, you know, everybody who throws out a nonsense argument thinks they're unique, but they have literally the exact same talking points. And we started realizing, you know, when when one side would switch their arguments, the other side switched their arguments, you know, when we as we would debunk this over here, they would immediately switch the tactic here, and then we would see the tactic switched over here within a couple of days, you know, making it obvious that all of this was being coordinated.
1: Yeah. Well, I, the, Jules Isaac begins with the argument that the Catholic Church is teaching contempt. It's based on a complete mistranslation of a prayer. The Christian Church was really praying for the Jews and for their salvation, but they take the, the term perfidus, which means basically lacking faith, and turn it into perfidious. Which means, you know, all the all the nasty connotations that, um, uh, and you'd think Jules Isaac as an academic would say, you know, here's a reasonable translation. Why go down that path?
0: So I uh, thank Michael Connor for bringing this up. Dude, you just hit the nail on the head. Why didn't I think of this before? What about Course in Miracles, right? All right. So, uh, you know, you have this big book that was like this, uh, hippie book put out in, uh, I forget the '60s or early '70s, and I went through some of it years ago. And uh, William Thetford studied under Carl Rogers at the CIA, and he was a part of MKUltra Project '89 and '69, and he wrote it with uh, Helen Shuckman. And you know, so they were selling this: this uh, Christianity is all about you know feel good and. A primacy of consciousness rather than logos and reality is real. There are no contradictions in nature. Let's find the truth, and you know that's a whole other level of this uh, mind control that they tried to spend. I think you know they they in the last forty or fifty years they've spent significant effort and finance on. Uh, altering uh, Protestant churches from within and distorting the view of what Christianity is really about, you know, and if I didn't have a decade or I guess at the time, eight years of research with the trivium and understanding it, when I went through and and read the Bible, when I had that big epiphany aha moment, you know, I wouldn't have gotten it without the trivium. I wouldn't have gotten it because, you know, when I sat down and I'm reading John one, one through 17, And it's all breaking down logos and the word and truth and everything. It just you know it hit me like a ton of bricks.
1: Right. And the the fundamental argument, I think, though, especially if you take it from the Catholic side, was an argument between Kant and Descartes, uh, different people like that. One of my personal philosophical heroes. I would encourage viewers to go to this. Is you can look up on Oxford Free Lectures. There's a professor Robinson gives a gives a very interesting lecture on Thomas Reed, who bre- represents the uh, Presbyterians. He's, and he, Thomas Reed is no slouch philosopher. I, I start in my book with, a, with some quotes from him. Thomas Reed is literally the, the logical foundation of common sense. Common sense becomes the logical foundation for the United States. Uh, Without common sense, we have, you know, we have all the ridiculous trials we have going on now. The, go research Thomas Reed. These are not stupid people. These are very into the lectures, our Oxford lectures. You'll learn something about even just very quickly of what really happened in those scenarios, what happened to destroy this, and what we have to do, not just to save our souls, but to save the country and uh, this is true America we're talking about here. Um, it, it's an interesting, interesting Thomas, Thomas Reed actually represents sort of the Protestant version of the logos uh, and tremendously interesting, tr- tremendously intellectual.
0: Oh my goodness. We have so much more to discuss here. Um, you know, if, if, if people want to reach out to you, is there a way that they can contact you?
1: Uh, yeah. My email is Cosmo Jones one at Gmail.
0: All right. And hold up your book again for the audience, if you don't mind. And thanks, uh, Take Steve Mercer for over. the donation during the show. Thanks everybody else who sent uh, your support during the week. Uh, Patrick, Russ, Uh, there was a number of you uh, who, now I'm forgetting somebody's name here. Let's see. Oh, goodness. David. Yeah, thank you so much, David, for your support as well. And, uh, you know, for the audience, we can't do it without you. We are listener-supported through all of this. So, uh, you know, please support the show. We can't do it without you. Steve... I would love to get you back on the show. I think we should do a series on this. You down for doing another show next Tuesday?
1: Uh, I can't next Tuesday. I don't think. I let me I'd have to check my schedule. This is the Christmas season I'm still employed.
0: So. right. well, yeah, you know, and it's the holidays, obviously next Thursday is uh what is it next Thursday or the Thursday after is is Thanksgiving?
1: Uh, not this
0: one, the one after it. Uh, what is that? The 28th. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I would definitely like to get you back on the show, if not next week, soon and go in depth into your book. And, you know, I'll make sure I take, uh, you know, more notes so that we can tackle a lot of these specific points in your book. And I'm looking at it over here because I have it on that screen. But, uh, you know, there's a lot more to get into here. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on tonight. You bet. And, uh, you know, it's been a fast hour. Sometimes I don't cut it off at an hour, but uh, I think here would be a good place to uh, hold for the night and get you back on soon. And, uh, you know, is there uh, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up?
1: Just thank you. And well, as we talked before, it's Christianity. Is it a silly religion.
0: Right. Well, you know, and really quickly before we go, how did you come across my work what made you reach out and as i was going through my emails i i realized you reached out in january as well
1: yeah i mean I've, I've been all along writing books not so much to for you know big sell but basically to to make a chronology and to document all the things that i found out uh one of them was harriman i think he had a course on aristotle right well
0: yeah and and we did a series about uh debunking quantum physics and yeah. i you know and people you know I, pe- people have struggled with that series because they refuse to actually read his book and go through his you know what did he have like a seven or ten hour presentation that went with the the show yeah. you know
1: <laughs> And that's what i'm mindful of too is that a lot of this hits people pretty hard it's it's it, it's it's not an easy thing to to shed what you've been taught for a lifetime and say, you know, maybe there's another way here.
0: Right. Well, you know, uh, and Greg Quinones is just jumping in there. Greg is a regular guest of the show. Greg, you're going to have to go back and watch it. You're going to love this one. But uh, um, let's see. Yeah, let's just uh, let's wrap it up here and we'll get you back soon. I think, you know, you've got important work here. We really need to expose the core of this, uh, you know, Acharya S, uh, Badgett and Lay, Freckin Gandhi, Atwill sort of uh, conspiracy to attack Christianity to promote this.
1: It makes you wonder who's pulling the strings behind all this, because, you know, it's like I said, working in a seminary, these people aren't stupid people, but I can go down to a bar and there's more common sense sometimes a man in the street than somebody who's taken a lifetime learning this stuff.
0: Yeah, I've experienced that, too. All right. Well, thank you so much, Steve, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody in the audience. Please support the show. Uh, Logosmedia.com. Do you have a website where they can go buy your book?
1: I do not. Look for it on Lulu Press, and it's also available as an e- downloadable ePub from Amazon and all the big sellers.
0: All right, cool. And that's a wrap. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for your support. See you possibly next week, and uh, we'll uh, see you next time regardless. Take care.